the parable of the vineyard. The parable of the vineyard. And it's found in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Now, this is a parable that is very um, strange to us. And most Christians are not familiar with it. They've heard it or read it before, but they really don't understand it. And for us to understand it, we need to first look at this parable in its context in the book of Matthew. So the first thing I want you to do is I want you to move back a couple chapters to chapter 18 and verse 3. And if you've been with us, you'll remember these passages that I'm going to point to. Uh, Matthew 18.3, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say unto you, unless you're converted and become as little children, you will by no means, now notice this, you will by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, when he uses the word kingdom of heaven uh, in Matthew, it simply means kingdom of God. So don't think of going to heaven. It just talks about God's kingdom uh, right now, eternal life. So he says you have to become as a little child in order to enter into the kingdom in 18.3. Then over in 19.14, it says this. Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Of heaven. So we see these two references to children and the kingdom of God. And this is how uh, we are to enter the kingdom of God by being like children, dependent uh, on God, not self sufficient. In contrast to the children, we see up in verse 16 of 19, 1916, the rich young ruler. He's anything but a child. He has status. Children have no status. He has power. Children are powerless. He is self-sufficient. Children are dependent. And uh, we see that uh, he comes in 1916 and he said to Jesus, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I might have eternal life? And we know that uh, we know from these other passages what he needs to do. He needs to become like a child. You don't want to do that. He's got too much. How much does the child have? Nothing. So, he's self-dependent. Children are dependent upon others. So, uh, he walks away. He does not enter the kingdom of God. And that leads to a question in verse 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you, that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And... Uh, they then ask the question, well, uh, you know, if he can't enter, you know, who can enter? And this leads to a lesson. And the lesson is found in verse 29. It says, And everyone who has left houses and brothers and sisters and father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit the kingdom of inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last. And the last will be first. Now this is the lesson that Jesus teaches. If you give it all up, you'll inherit eternal life. The last will be first, and the first will be last. Now, with that understanding, we come to the story of the vineyard. I'm getting music in my ears. You hear music back here? Hey, Tommy. <laughs> 
There's music. There's music on the inter intercom there. Not sure where it's coming from. It may come be coming from downstairs. Is that possible? Okay. Well, I'm, I don't think they sing that kind of music. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so we got this context. Are you ready? Now, we're going to come to the parable of the vineyard, and I'm going to divide it this way. Okay, Chapter 20 and verse 1, we're going to call that the introduction. 20, verse 1, the introduction. Verses 2 through 7, the hiring of workers. The hiring of workers. Verses 8 through 15, the paying of the workers, giving them their wages. Of the word workers, and then verse 16, the lesson. Okay, so let's look at the introduction. So it says, For the kingdom of heaven, see, this is with this, everything that we've been talking about is about this. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning before the sun was up, like we did today to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now here we see several key terms. First you see the phrase kingdom of heaven. That is the theme of this parable. Okay, That's the theme of this parable. You'll then notice the words is like. That's the analogy. That's the comparison. Uh, the kingdom is going to be compared to something. So that is like is the analogy or the comparison that's going to be made in the parable. You have the landowner next. He represents God in the parable. Okay? The landowner. Then next you have the laborers. They represent human beings. They represent humankind. And then you have the vineyard. And the vineyard is the kingdom. Okay? So this is the introduction. So once you understand this, other things are going to start falling into place. So the parable, this parable is about entering the kingdom of God. Okay, that's what it's about. This parable is about entering the kingdom of God. Okay. Who God invites into his kingdom. Okay. So let's look at the hiring of the workers. There are five sets of hiring that takes place in this parable. Okay. The first hiring. So he goes out in verse 1, early in the morning, to hire laborers for his vineyard. He needs workers out there in the field. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. So this is a pre-dawn scene. He goes out to the marketplace where all the day workers are waiting to be hired. We're familiar with that. And he finds a group of men, maybe even women, we're not certain. And he's going to send them out into his vineyard to work. And he's going to give them a denarius, it says in verse 2. For a denarius a day. These people are going to work a full day from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. They're going to work from the time the sun comes up to the time the sun sets. Everybody in Palestine worked that way that was a day laborer. 
and they got one denarius a day. We would call that today minimum wage. Okay? That's what they got. That's the standard pay. That's the first hiring. Now look at the second hiring in verse 3. And he went out about the third hour. Now this is 9 o'clock in the morning. Okay. And he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. Now when it says they're standing idle, it doesn't mean they're lazy. It means they're waiting. They're waiting for someone to come along and hire them to work. And he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. And so they went. He hires these people, but he doesn't designate how much he's going to pay them. He says, I'll do right by you. Whatever's right. Now, I don't know if I'd go out and work for that, would you? But they do. Nine o'clock in the morning, they go out and they go into the vineyard. It says they went out. You see that in verse 3? Okay. Now, look at... Verse, uh, uh, verse 4, it says they went. They went into the vineyard. And now we have the next hiring. The third and fourth hiring in verse 5. He went out again about the sixth hour. That's 12 noon. He discovers he needs more workers in his vineyard. And he goes out the ninth hour. That's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. That's your third and fourth hiring. And he did likewise. He said, I'll do right by you. So they go into the vineyard. Now we have the fifth hiring. Look at verse 6. And about the 11th hour, that would be 5 p.m., he went out and found others standing idle, and he said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? And they said to him, Because no one hired us. We've been waiting for someone to come and hire us. He said, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, you will receive. Now, they are all in the vineyard, every worker. But they've all gone into the vineyard at different times. 6 a.m., 9 a.m., 12, 3, and 5. But they're all working in the vineyard. And let me tell you. This is very important, that poor people in Bible times living in Palestine, if they did not work, they did not eat. They starved and their families starved. It wasn't like we get a weekly paycheck or we get a Social Security check, or you get retirement or you get investments. These people live hand to mouth. They got paid in cash every day at the end of the day. If they didn't get kicked up to work, they didn't eat. And that's just how the system worked. And uh, 92, 93% of the people in the entire Roman Empire worked like this. If it was a rainy day and you couldn't go into the vineyard, guess what? You didn't need it. And this is why people hooked up with individuals called patrons. They tried to find somebody and help them out. And then in return for being helped out, they had to bestow honor on them all the time. You know. So, you know, you groveled. So it was not, a, it was a very difficult system. So all these people were working and they're happy to be working. I want you to know that. So then it says in verse 8, now we come to part 2, the paying of the wages. 
And when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, that would be his general manager, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last. Start with that last group that we sent out at 5 o'clock and pay them. Okay? So, the 11th hour group comes in to get paid. Verse 9. And when those who came who were hired about the 11th hour, they each received a denarius. A full day's wages for one hour of work. Wow! That'll get you excited. They've never had anything like this happen to them in their lives. This is pretty good. What a surprise. Can you imagine going home and telling your family what it was like? And this person gave you this big bonus just because they were kind and they were gracious. Now verse 10. And when the first came, we're assuming all the other ones have come and gone. When the first came, they supposed that they would receive more. We worked 12 hours. <laughs> this guy works one hour and gets full day's wages. What kind of bonus are we going to get? And they likewise received each one single denarius. You talk about disappointment. You talk about shock. Uh, what would you do if one hour people end up getting a full day's wages and you work 12 hours and get the same? You're not going to be too happy, are you? Look at the reaction, verse 11. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner. It's not right. It's not fair. We worked 12 hours. They worked one. Uh, we broke a sweat. We did the brunt of the work. We were the ones who dug the holes, the ditches. They threw in a few seats to the day. Not right. They complain. Now let me tell you something. When you see the word complain there, it immediately takes your mind back to Israel, who have been delivered, and they're complaining all the time about God. Graciously delivers them. They were stuck. They couldn't get out of Egypt. And uh, he delivers them. And what do they start doing? Griping. Complaining. So here are these people, they're complaining. They said, you know, we've done the work. We've worked 12 hours. And these Johnny-come-latelys get exactly the same pay that we do. And they are really upset. And I have to say, if I were in their shoes, I'd have been upset too. And look what they said. These last men have worked only an hour. And they said this right to the owner. You made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the heat of the dead. Now the owner responds, verse 13. But he answered one of them and he said, friend. He answered one of them and he said, friend. They said, cheat. <laughs> He says, 
Well, he puts them to shame. <laughs> he doesn't hold anything against them. He doesn't. He just he calls them friends. Look at that. Not my enemy. They look upon this guy as some enemy. He looks upon them as a friend. He says, friend. Am I doing you wrong? In verse 13? And the answer is, no. I'm not doing you wrong. Did you not agree to work with me for a denarius? And the answer is what? Yes. You said you worked for a denarius. I gave you a denarius. Have I done you wrong? Have I cheated? Have I, you know, done you wrong? And the answer is, no. That's what we agreed to. But now guess what? They're complaining. After they've uh, agreed to this. Now, we know he hasn't done wrong because the word right is used in there. In verse 4, whatever is right I will give to you, he says to that one group. In verse 5, to the second, the third and fourth group, he says he did likewise. That means he did right. And then in verse 7, at the end of verse 7, whatever is right you will receive. So this man is doing right by everybody. Now remember, this is a parable. Okay, this is where this is where Christians make a mistake with their reading. This is a parable. And what's it about? The parable means it's not a real event. It's a fictitious story that Jesus is making up. To drive home a point, uh, it's about entering the kingdom of God and who enters the kingdom of God. And he's trying to drive home a point. Now look at verse. 14. Look what the owner says in this story that Jesus tells. Take what is yours and go your way. So in the story, they take their money and they leave. Think we'll ever see them again? Think they're going to come back? Think they want to work for this guy the next day? No, because they feel they've done, been cheated. But have they been cheated? No, he has done right by them. He did exactly what he said, and he gave the others the same, which if he wanted to do, he can do. We see that. He says, take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? And the answer is what? Yes his money, his field, his prerogative, he can do whatever he wants to do. He has a right to do that. Or, he says to those people that he sends away, or is your eye evil because I am what? Good. See, these people aren't jealous because they got cheated. Why are they upset? Because the guy was good to the others. He's good. Remember that. He's good. Now, who's the, who does the owner represent? God. God is what? Good. Okay. He doesn't cheat. Okay. He's good. So they are jealous and angry. They have this evil eye, which means they look like. Looks could kill, you know, they, you'd be dead type of thing. Uh, it's not that they're angry because 
He's been unfair to them because he hasn't been, once you understand the story, but he's good to others. Okay, now the lesson. You ready? Maybe verse 16. So, here's the lesson. Jesus says, the last will be first, and the first will be last. Which we saw back in the other story uh, last week. So there's the lesson. The first will be last, and the last will be first. Now when we talk about first and last, remember what we're talking about. When we talk about first and last, we're talking about who was the first to go into the vineyard. What's the vineyard represent? <coughs> Kingdom of God. Who was to go into the vineyard? That was the first. And the last were those who went into the vineyard last, which would have been five o'clock, right? So first and last here has to do with uh, the time they entered into the vineyard. And since we know that the vineyard in this parable is about the kingdom of God, it's about those who go into the kingdom of God first and those who enter the kingdom of God last. And notice the formula. The last will be first and the first will be last. That's a formula. That means they're equal. Those that go in early and those that go in last are equal. They both go into the vineyard. They are equal. This parable, and let me tell you, murder has been done to this parable because people have tried to develop economic systems based on this parable. This parable isn't about economics. It's not about capitalism. It's not about communism. It's not about uh, rewards. It's about who enters the kingdom first and who enters the kingdom as the Johnny come lately. Once you got the key, it all makes sense. Okay? So, how are we going to interpret this? Who goes in first and who goes in last? These people who are equal. So, I'm going to give you three options. Okay? There's three ways to interpret this. All are variations of the same thing. Okay? Option number one, the people who go into the kingdom first are the Jews. Who does Jesus bring the gospel to? The Jews, he's come to seek the people of the lost tribes of Israel, right? The Jews go in first. They have the first opportunity. The Johnny-come-latelys are the Gentiles. Aren't you glad God allowed you to come into the kingdom of God? Just like he allowed the Jews to come into the kingdom of God. To the Jew, Paul says, to the Jew first. And then also to the Gentile. First, and then the Johnny come lately, the Gentiles. Uh, Jews have no advantage over us. They shouldn't complain. Ah, let that Gentile come in here. But, you know, we know that many Jews were very concerned. Many Jewish, Messianic Jews who entered the kingdom of God or were very concerned when God allowed Gentiles to come in, weren't they? They wanted the Gentiles to become like Jews. Remember that? Instead of being happy that God allowed the Johnny-come-lately Gentiles in, they complained. Paul preaching to Gentiles? Peter reaches the household of Cornelius and he has to come back and explain it to the church of Jerusalem. You did what? You ain't a Gentile. 
Now, remember Matthew's audience. Living up in Syria around 85 AD when he writes this thing. You'll remember in our first lessons that that congregation that he writes to is a congregation made up of Jews and Gentiles. Remember that? And many of these Jewish people were being pressured by their parents and their relatives and their friends. You're rubbing shoulders with Gentiles. And guess what? This parable would make sense to them. Hey, Gentiles are equals. Yes, we got in first. The Gentiles are the Johnny come lately. We're not complaining. Hey, we're just thankful that we're in. <laughs> and we're happy that they're in too. So that's option number one. Does that make sense to you? <coughs> option number two. Those who come in early would be those, this is option two, theory two, are those who were with Jesus from the beginning that entered into the kingdom. This would be the apostles. And then you have those who came in later. Thief on the cross. That's not fair. He gets in on the last breath of his life. Deathbed confession. Ah! Oh yeah, he's just as equal to the apostles in God's sight. You see, the last is the same as the first, and the first is the same as the last. Or equal. Or how about the apostle Paul who comes in after he's persecuted the church? And he says, I'm not one whit behind any apostle. I am like a person who was born out of due season. Yeah, I came in like, I'm like a birth. A man and a woman have a child when they're 20 years old, and then guess what? She's 42 and she has another one. Boy, we weren't expecting that. Are they both children of that man and woman? Yes. One comes in early, the other's a Johnny come lately. So it could be like the apostles versus the uh, the Paul, and you know when Paul gets saved, they're very concerned that you know, is this guy really saved? You know, this was a persecutor of the church. Okay, now there's a third option. The third option uh, fits in good with the context, and the those who come in first would be those upstanding people, law keepers, uh, people like uh, Joseph of Arimathea. And Simeon that you find in uh, Luke chapter 1 and 2, and uh, people like that. Law people. Maybe people like the rich young ruler who wants to come in. He feels that he has uh, priority. After all, he's rich. The disciples said, man, he can't get a new game. Seems like he has first priority. So this would be upstanding law keepers. And then the second group, the last group, would be people like you mean you're going to let them in? One has a lot to bring. The rich young ruler were. If I were a pastor of a church, the rich young ruler came up and said, I want to know how to be saved. I'd say, buddy, <laughs> let me give it to you in three simple statements. Because I know this guy has a lot to give to my they don't have much to give. They're like the, the dregs of society. They're the last. It's the story of the prodigal son all over the, the elder brother complains when the prodigal comes home. Remember that story? I've been with you all this time. I should have priority. I've done all you've said. I've kept the law. I've 
worked for you, and here's this bum brother of mine, and he comes in, and you, you throw a party for him. I'm not going to go into that party. He doesn't rejoice over the fact that his brother's been accepted by the Father. He complains. Why would he complain? Nothing's happened to him. Oh, he's not seeing things clearly. He complains that uh, uh, he's, his brother's getting more than him. It's not fair that this Johnny come late and he changes his ways late in life. And here, I've served you all this time. And so he walks away. He won't go into the party. He just, that, that. Sounds like the rich young ruler sort of. Walks away. In fact, down in verse 14, what does it say? The owner tells those first comers, take what's yours and what? Go your way. Because <coughs> God's good. He was good to that first group. He is good to the second group. He offers all the kingdom. He offers the kingdom to everybody who comes like a child. And the tax collectors and the sinners come like a child. And so he offers, there's no, there's no advantage one over the other. In Christ, there's no male or what? Males don't have an advantage. Firstborn don't have an advantage. No, no slave or free. In Roman society, if you were free and you were a citizen, that gave you an advantage. But not in God's kingdom. The slave is exactly the same as the free. They're equal. The first is last, and the last is first. There's no difference. There's an equal sign between them. Slave, free, equal, right in the middle. Rich, poor. Equal sign right in the middle. Uh, God doesn't care about your station in life, your skin color, your nationality. But to the arrogant, to the self-righteous, he says. Tax collectors and harlots will sit at the table with Abraham in my father's kingdom long before you ever do. Because they come like children. And you come with your own self-righteousness. And so he says at the end, and some translations don't have this portion, the end of verse 16, but most do. For many are called, but you were chosen. The whole issue is uh, the invitation. Many are called. Guess what? God calls all of us. He invites us into the kingdom. He says, y'all come. But some actually walk away from the kingdom like the rich young ruler. So here's this invitation. The invitation is given to those who are the first, given to those who are the last. Now, uh, did the disciples get this? I don't think they really get this. I think they're still confused. Yeah. And then this section ends with, uh, in verses 17 through 19, with Jesus giving his third prediction about his death in the Gospel of Matthew. I want to read this to you very quickly and just make one comment. So here we have Jesus giving his third prediction. Look at verse 17. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, and he tells this parable. He took the twelve disciples aside privately on a road, and he wants to say something to them privately. This is not for public consumption. He says, uh, pay attention, behold. Now listen to me very carefully. He says, it's something important I want to tell you. 
We're going up to Jerusalem, the capital city, and the Son of Man will be betrayed. Somebody's going to turn on me. They're going to betray me. They're going to betray me to the chief priest and to the scribes, to the religious leaders. They're going to turn me into the religious leaders. They will condemn him to death. The religious leaders will find the Son of Man, who Jesus describes as himself, as guilty. And then they will deliver him to the Gentiles. That would be the Romans, Roman authorities. To mock, they're going to humiliate him, psychological terrorism, in a sense. They're going to scourge him. They're going to inflict pain and punishment upon him, physical <coughs> punishment. And they're going to crucify him. That means they're going to execute him, execute him through the means of crucifixion which was the form of death that Rome reserved only for the lowest of the low and for political revolutionaries, uh, people that they <coughs> described as dangerous to their society. They are going to crucify him. Jesus predicts his death. And then he says this, and the third day he will rise from the dead. He will be victorious. And it's through his resurrection that his kingdom, this kingdom that he's been talking about, will be initiated, officially initiated, when he's resurrected, ascends into heaven, he sits at the throne on God's on the throne of David next to his father on high, and he rules the world, heaven and earth. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Not only in heaven, but on earth. Jesus is ruler of the earth, whether people realize it or not. And thus his kingdom is initiated in some way. I'm convinced that the apostles have no idea what in the world he's talking about. Even though he's speaking in good old-fashioned, plain what we call plain old English. They should understand it, but they're not getting it. Because their concept of Messiah is not that he's going to die, but that he's going to kill Rome. Rome's going to die. He's going to overthrow Rome. So they don't get it. Uh, they're still thinking he's going to bring, bring about the kingdom, but they don't, they're not getting that. And the reason we know that is because in the next verses, it says that then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And she said, and he said to her, what do you want? And she said, grant these my two sons, John and James, that they might sit at your right hand and on your left in your kingdom. They want privilege. They've missed the whole point. They will not get the point until, until Jesus is resurrected and they see him ascend and the Holy Spirit comes in and suddenly... All this will make sense. So that's what we'll pick up next week. We'll pick up with uh, the request of James and John's mother that uh, they will have a prominent place in the kingdom. And then the following week will be Palm Sunday and we'll be in chapter 21, Peter's triumphal entry. Lord, we thank you for a, a, a parable that, uh, that drives home the point of who enters kingdom and how you invite all of us. Jews, but also Gentiles. Rich, but also poor. Good people and bad people. You call us to, to turn from our ways come like children into your kingdom. Oh Lord, help us not to complain when we look at others that come into your kingdom. Others that come into our church and say, ah, oh, they shouldn't be here. What are we doing except Help us, Lord, 
to have the right attitude, one of rejoicing, realizing that you're a God of grace to all people. You're good, and you're good all the time. Christ, and you're correct.